Um, the song we sang last week, um, I didn't know the tune real well, but the uh, expression, worthy is the lamb, um, it stuck with me. And so that's what I'd like to contemplate this morning, is the Lamb of God, um, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, and I want to specifically look, um, in anticipation of our communion service, of uh, the moments um, leading up to and there when He is uh, hanging on the cross. So we know that there is a ton of material in the four Gospels, more than I could stand up here and read. Um, and so I'm going to try and use broad brushstrokes to kind of set the stage. We know that Jesus had been taken that night after the Lord's Supper. Um, he'd been arrested, brought to the high priest's father-in-law's house, and eventually to the priest's palace. And they had their kangaroo court. They'd already, he was guilty. They just had to figure out what they were going to accuse him of, what charge was going to stick. At least that's how they looked at it. <clears throat> and when the morning came, having gotten their ducks in a row, if you will, they went to Pilate, woke him up, you know, relatively early. Sun's just coming up to accuse him. And Pilate, Pilate wasn't an idiot. Right? He knew that these uh, leaders were bringing um, Jesus to him for envy. Um, that he was an innocent man, and they had nothing really to accuse him of. And so for a while, he tried to kind of get out of it, right up until it would have cost him something. He said, if you let this man go, you're not a friend of Caesar. They threatened his relationship with the civil government that Pilate was part of. And so Pilate has his moment when he sees that he cannot prevail against the leaders here and the mob that they brought with him, with them, and that a tumult was going to be made, and so he took a you know, bowl and washed his hands before them all and said, you know, my hands are innocent. I'm washing my hands of this innocent man, the blood of this innocent just person. I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Now we know that before that, he'd had this back and forth where he'd sent him over to Herod where he tried to get out of it, saying, well, it's Herod's jurisdiction. He's from Galilee. And Herod was kind of excited to see Jesus. Um, he'd been wanting to interview him for a while, see a miracle or two. That sounds exciting. Have some early morning entertainment. But Jesus didn't answer anything to Herod, and Herod's soldiers um, knew enough about what it meant to be accused of being the Christ that they dressed him up like a king and, and mocked him there. And then they sent him back, arrayed such. And Pilate, you know, as an attempt to get out of it, had him beaten, scourged, um, whipped. But that didn't satisfy. And so then Pilate's soldiers um, took up the mocking theme, took that robe that had come over from Herod, wrapped him in it, and put a, a crown upon him. 
crown of thorns. Gave him a reed instead of a scepter. And then pretended to bow the knee to him. Saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him. And they took the reed that was in his hand and began to strike him over about the face. They mocked him. They had enough of that. They had orders from their boss to go and crucify him. The same boss that they'd heard say this was an innocent person. This was a just man. But orders is orders. They mocked him. They put on his own clothes. And they lead him out to go be crucified. They find a guy named Simon, a Cyrenian. They compel him to help bear the cross or a portion of it. Um, and they came up to the, the hill, the, the place called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull. Same meaning for the word Calvary. Place of a skull. They offered him vinegar, sour wine, mingled with gall. Elsewhere it says it was mingled with uh, myrrh. The idea there is this may have been an, an offering of mercy, something to kind of numb the pain. Um, but he wouldn't take it. And it's been all night, but the last thing um, he had to drink was at the, the supper. Right? And he told them, I'm not going to have anything else of the vine until he has it new in the Lord's kingdom. He's not, so he's, he's hurting back is raw. According to Old Testament, his beard is most likely ripped out by the roots. He's bruised. He's battered. He's got spit on him. And he's got this wooden log that he's having to carry on his exposed, wounded, bloody back. His mouth is dry. Right? You know, we're gone 18 hours without drinking anything. <coughs> sure. But you get thirsty. I imagine losing a lot of your bodily fluids out your back and your other wounds. And so even though he had an opportunity to take this, he he didn't drink it. None of what he was going to feel and experience that day was going to be numbed by alcohol or by any other form. And then they crucified him. They took large nails and pounded them. And this would not be a single strike. You know, we pounded a large nail into something because over and over and over and over. With each blow, he's feeling it in his hands. And then you have the other hand to look forward to. And then your feet. But before they pinned him to the cross, they took away his clothing. And then they made a game of it right there where they're having a, a gambling competition to see which of the soldiers is going to get which part. Right? You get this, you get that, you get that. Well, what about the big coat? He doesn't even have a seam. 
let's just uh, let's cast lots for it to see who's going to win that in its entirety. And all that's fulfilling the prophecies that were said before of old times. What what would have to happen? And so you've got these soldiers sitting there, <coughs> parting his garments, crucifying him, and their job's largely done. They sit down. I sit down to watch and see what happens. So one of the first things that's recorded, and I think in order this would be the first thing that Jesus said after he was crucified, and just to again set the stage, he's got two other guys who are due for execution. We know that they were thieves, um, and they're on either side of him. And then Luke. 23 and 34. It says, There they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and one on the other. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Looking out, if you're looking at it through Jesus' eyes, you see soldiers sitting there, either holding or got tucked into a pocket, your clothes. You've got the religious leaders who knew you to be a threat to them, to their position, to the nation. You've got the mob that the leaders inspired, inspired, riled up. It was not the same crowd that was cheering him entering the city so recently. And then standing afar off, you had some of his followers who had been with him for a long time. Several of the Marys watching as their loved leader, the one that they knew to be the Christ, the Deliverer, is, an is in an impossible situation. This was an unjust sentence. It was wrong. And yet the first thing Jesus says up there is, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Soldiers knew their boss and said, this guy's innocent. He's just. Just following orders. Priests and religious leaders thought they were taking out a threat to their country. Grab the mob. They were following along with what their leaders told them to do. Surely they know better. And then there was a few, not willing participants, but horrified spectators, watching their Lord be wrongfully murdered. None of those who were complicit in that act 
knew who he was. 1 Corinthians 2 and 8. I'll start in verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. This event was ordained. This was set out. This was going to happen. Talk about predestination and things that were laid out in advance for the world. There's two things described. One, that God chose the people and they would be with Him. Period. And that for that to happen, the Lord of glory would have to be slain by wicked hands. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They did not know that this was God. They did not know this was the Son of God. They did not know this was the Word, the Creator, the Christ, the Messiah. People stood off beholding, and the rulers also with them derided Him. Deride means to mock. It wasn't enough that they've gotten their way. They've won. Right? This is just a countdown clock. You, you hang on the cross until you're dead. There's no coming down alive. And so you've got the mob and the people making fun of him. Saying, he saved others. He delivered them from, from sicknesses. He healed them. Raised the dead. Right. You know, Lazarus, we heard about that. That was recent. We, we might need to take Lazarus out too because of that. That's going to spread. Let him save himself if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him. So you've got the mob, the priests, the soldiers, all openly mocking him. And then there are some who weren't even directly involved. They just happened to be walking along the way. This was near the road on the way into the city. And they're wagging their heads and they're mocking him because they know enough of what's going on. He's got a title hanging over his cross. It's written in three different languages so everybody can know. This is the king of the Jews. And at one point, both of those malefactors are Casting their teeth at him too. Mocking him. You know, misery loves company. You know. Everyone else is jumping on this guy's case. Well, let's get in on the actions. Last thing we're going to do. <coughs> but at some point, one of those malefactors had something change. The other one, still mocking, says, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. Right? Yeah, do a, do a, do a, do a miracle. But hey, take us down too. The other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. We've done crimes worthy of death under the current law. But this man, 
he hath done nothing amiss. Even the criminal knew this was unjust. He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He didn't say, Lord, I'm really a good boy. I just stepped out of line. Lord, I, I've, I've done some good over my life. And, you know, his plea was, was simple. Just remember me. When thou comest into thy kingdom. He's acknowledging that he's the master and that he has a kingdom. Something those others couldn't see. And Jesus said unto him, Verily, truly, emphasizing the truth, I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. When people get confused about them saying Jesus went into the grave or went into hell, they think literal hell. No, he was in heaven. His body went into the grave. And sometimes that word hell is, means grave. There's two different words. But today you should be with me in paradise. That word paradise literally means a park. It's a reference to the perfect Eden. The one that the original was a foreshadowing for. And that's not something, that's not a different different heaven. That is one that, that's con- that continues, okay, now and forever. You can see that in 2 Corinthians 12, 4 and Revelation 2, 7, if you want to go look at and study out that word paradise. How radical, how different that his first two Recorded statements on the cross involve others. Seeking the forgiveness for others and comforting a little lamb of God. A little lamb who had no merits to offer to his name. And yet by the Lord's work, he could confidently assure him Today, you'll be with me in paradise. So all this started sometime after nine in the morning. And these scenes have taken place. When you get to about noon, it gets dark. Darkness falls, and it's going to stay dark until about three in the afternoon. Now that whole time, your Lord is still hanging on that cross, exposed to the mocking, exposed to the shame, exposed to the pain. I mean, you have to pull up to get each breath. What's happening along your back? You're dragging your raw wounds across. I'm sure it was not sanded wood. Every breath was painful. Every moment was painful. And so for three hours, the Lord is going to have darkness 
um, cover the land. And there's an interesting parallel if you look back in Exodus chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10 and verse 21, The Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thy hand towards heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. And the Lord stretched forth his hand towards heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt. Three days. They saw not one another, neither arose him from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. <coughs> Jesus was the light. He was a light that came into the world. He had no sin. And yet at this time, the same way that you have the picture in the Old Testament with the animal sacrifices where they're putting their hands upon the head and they're repeating off all the sins and the crimes of the people and putting it upon the animal in a figure. All the sins and crimes of all of his people are being put upon him. And he who knew no sin became sin for us. Bearing the weight and the burden of all that mountainous wrong that we've done was being put upon Him. This is a serious event, and I think this is part of why the Lord brought down the darkness on this. This, was, this is a dark day. That light is being covered with sin, if you will. And during this period in Mark chapter 3, Mark chapter 15, excuse me, verse 33, said, When the sixth hour was come, and darkness was over the whole land until the ninth hour, and at the ninth hour, so you've gone through this, Three hours. Not much for those spectators to see then. He cried out with a loud voice. And it's amazing that he could cry out with a loud voice. Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachnii. Which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's one of the most tragic sentences in the Word of God. Amazing. And tragic. <coughs> Father, forgive them. My God. That 
close and intimate connection that the Son has with the Father, even if it's just for the briefest of time, was hindered. So much so that the Lord of glory felt to be forsaken by his God. Couldn't even call him Father at this time. at this time at that third 3 p.m. that ninth hour that that veil that heavy cloth hanging there in Herod's temple so this would be the, about the third iteration of the temple that's been built big old cloth separating the holy from the most holy it's going to be ripped in two from the top down And by that sacrifice of his body, the symbol there in that veil being ripped is that access has been given. And we see that in Ephesians 2.18. For through him we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit unto the Father. He made peace. We who are far off, He's broken down the middle wall of partition between us, between both us as Jews and non-Jews, and between us and God. Over to John chapter 19. Verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, his wife's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. Three different Marys, as we mentioned. Mary is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Miriam. Miriam means rebel. There's an interesting picture in the threefold rebel being there and yet tenderly loved and cared for. And specifically, he's going to provide, he's going to set his affairs in order. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, the reference for John, Apostle John, he said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And that woman's a very respectful title. It's like, ma'am, ma'am, behold thy son. And he said to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. He made provision for his mother. Even at the end... He is honoring his parents, his mother, 
um, and fulfilling the law. He was not going to leave her destitute. Now, he had other brothers and siblings or whatever, but at, at this point, we don't have any recording of them being interested in the church. In fact, they were trying to tell him, you're nuts. We're going to take you home. Um, and so he is making sure that one who loved him as the Lord was going to be there to provide um, naturally for his natural mother. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, all things were now accomplished, there's just one more box he's got to check, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they put a sponge with the vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. Every single scripture that pointed to him, he had fulfilled. And it came down to just this last one. And this is uh, Psalm 22. Psalm 22 and verse... 15, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, a piece of broken, dried out clay. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For the dogs have compassed me, and the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They have parted my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Everything had been fulfilled except for the acknowledgement there of his tongue cleaving to his jaw. So he said, I thirst. And they gave him that vinegar, sour, nasty wine, and put it to his mouth. picture here is the Lord drinking the bitterness of the Lord's wrath all the way down to the dregs. Ever had a cup of coffee where you didn't do real well with a coffee filter? You got those grounds or whatever in the bottom. You decide, I really don't want that last swig. The idea is he took that last swig. Dregs and all. Coffee grounds and all. now the, the cup of the wrath of the Lord was a big cup. And he didn't miss a drop of it. If he had, then there'd be something that was still owed. But there's nothing owed. That's why after he received the vinegar, he could say, It is finished. The work redeeming his people of paying the price for every single sin had been completed
over in Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. This is at the day of Pentecost. Peter is speaking. It says, Ye men of Israel... Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders. He was shown to be the Christ. He was exhibited by his signs and wonders, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourself now know. God did those works through him, and to him um, so you would know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel, the appointed will of God, and the foreknowledge of God, the forethought, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden to it. This was going to happen. It was God's determined foreknowledge and will that Christ was going to die on this cross and he was going to be successful in what he set out to do go to Hebrews chapter 9 been explaining that all the Old Testament sacrifices were just types. They couldn't do it. But Jesus, but Christ, verse 11, Hebrews 9, 11, but Christ being come, a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made by hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. One sacrifice by His blood to the true holy place, not in that temple, but into heaven itself, obtained. When He said it is finished, He had obtained it. The only thing that was left to do was to give up His ghost, to allow Himself to physically die. And so we see that in Luke chapter 23, and I believe to be the last of the things that he would say. Twenty-three and forty-six. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands. I commend my spirit. The first thing he said, Father, forgive them. And in the midst of it, my God. And now at the end, after it's finished, Father. Luke 23 and 46. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit.
He had come to complete the Father's will. And that's exactly what he did. Was it painful and awful? Absolutely. And he knew every bit of what it was going to go through. What's the reaction of those around them? Now when the centurion saw what was done, he's been there about six hours now, he's seen this one that was pronounced innocent by Pilate, hanging on a cross, he's seen the sun get dark, he see him say really strange things about God forgiving those that are pounding spikes into his hands, talking to a thief to encourage him, and now talking to the Lord, to God the Father, saying, I commend my spirit, and then dying. And you all have that ability? I'm done. If Moses had had that ability, he would have quit several times. <laughs> when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, certainly, this was a righteous man. <clears throat> and all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, <coughs> smote their breasts. Hmm. doesn't sound like they're mocking very much right now. And all his acquaintances and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off beholding these things. So you imagine looking out on that cross from Jesus' perspective. Your enemies are all around you. Friends were far off. And they didn't know that you were doing this for them. And that though you had the power to come down at any time, you could have had a legion of angels come in and wipe out the entire Roman Empire. It was for his great love for each of his children that he stayed up there and he endured cross. This is the worthy lamb. The sacrifice that the Lord would provide his own lamb. Have that picture with Abraham and Isaac. Rightfully it would be just if we bore that price for ourselves. If you want to get what you deserve that's what we deserve. So when we sing about amazing grace, the grace is that He's loved us and given His Son for us so that we don't have to bear that. He did not withhold His only Son. So the challenge for you and I is knowing these things, if you believe them to be true, they have to have an impact in our life. 
don't think we love the Lord enough. And if we would spend more time contemplating Him and His love and what we can do to bring Him glory and honor, I think our lives will look radically different. Again, not because we're trying to earn our way to heaven. You know, that's not possible. But because we've been given the absolute best gift in the universe, there should be a, a corresponding output of gratitude and love and mercy. And if we're to follow the Lord's example, if we had this great injustice done to us, could we still be saying, Lord, forgive them? We can. <laughs> Does our natural mind say, No! May we render unto him the glory which is his due.